This is Archive Atlanta, episode 138, Cocaine. You're listening to Archive Atlanta, a history podcast where each week I'll be sharing a story about the people, places, and events that shape the history of the city of Atlanta. I'm your host, local tour guide, and total history nerd, Victoria Lemos. Hey everyone, happy Friday. This week we're talking about cocaine, the use of which is illegal in every state except Oregon. But that was not the case before 1914, when we passed the Harrison's Narcotics Tax Act. But even before then, at the dawn of the 20th century, cities like Atlanta were grappling with recreational cocaine use, racializing it, and trying to figure out how to allow the medical profession to continue to prescribe it. And in true Atlanta fashion, the process here was jumbled and clunky and complicated. This week, we're talking about the story of cocaine in Atlanta, what it was used for, where you could get it, and what pushed for its illegalization. To start with the very basics, cocaine is derived from the leaves of the coca plant, which grows naturally in the world, mainly in Colombia, Peru, and Bolivia. Archaeological research has shown that the Inca, living 8,000 years ago, chewed coca leaves for many purposes. Pain relief, altitude sickness, hunger management, etc., etc. The majority of cocaine used by people today is the powdered version of the isolated cocaine alkaloid that is snorted or injected. Cocaine base, or crack, is the solid form of cocaine that is smoked. The hypodermic needle was invented in 1853, which made injection drug use easier and more prevalent, and the first drug laws in the U.S. appeared around the 1870s in San Francisco, which prohibited white people from going into opium dens in Chinatown. In 1884, doctors discovered that cocaine made for a great anesthetic to be used during surgeries, and it numbed mucous membranes. Surgeries that before this were really excruciatingly painful. So imagine getting like your cheek or your eye operated in the 1880s. It was also a common treatment for hay fever and asthma, and that seemed to prompt other medical professionals to experiment. By the following years, claims are coming out of St. Louis saying that cocaine could even treat insanity. It didn't take long to realize that cocaine could also be a huge problem, just like morphine and opium had been at the time. Stories of personal ruin come in from across the U.S. Of course, we can't have an episode about Atlanta and cocaine without talking about its famous soft drink. By 1890, the Atlanta backlash to Coca-Cola's use of cocaine was just beginning. And while an episode about Coke is definitely coming, to review the basics, it was created by John Pemberton around 1886, and he believed cocaine was a modern cure-all miracle. The city of Atlanta passed a prohibition ordinance in 1885, so Pemberton was able to remove the alcohol from his drink concoction, but legally keep the cocaine. Asa Candler purchased the formula in 1888, and he started the Coca-Cola company and grew it into a successful business and brand. He himself was a teetotaler and a prohibitionist, and Coca-Cola was marketed as, quote, an intellectual beverage and temperance drink, end quote. In its earliest days, the drink was only served at heavily segregated soda fountains, which catered to middle-class white Atlantans. But once Coca-Cola expanded and began being served in other cities and other establishments, it was consumed by all races and classes of people. And that was a problem. When the news reports of cocaine abuse and addiction began circulating in national papers, a few editorials were published blaming the drinking of Coca-Cola as a gateway into the habit, so to speak. In 1891, Asa Candler himself wrote a letter to the editor of the Constitution, and in it he explains that the Coca-Cola formula uses coca leaves, yes, treated with hot water, but that one gallon of syrup, which makes 128 gallons of Coca-Cola, only contains half an ounce of coca leaves. And that quote 
any thoughtful citizen and prominent physician have got as much sense as they lack regard for correct speaking, they can readily see that a gallon of this syrup would not produce any decided effects attributable to cocaine, end quote. It's important to note at this time in Atlanta and in most major cities in the country, you could walk right into a pharmacy, purchase cocaine legally and usually without a prescription. As stories of addiction, overdoses, and suicides filled the papers, the public grew more and more concerned. Sanitariums began opening in Atlanta. I'm actually working on an episode about them, hopefully, because it's a really fascinating uh, rabbit hole of history. And so people are trying to reconcile, you know, like, how do we deal with this drug that is medically beneficial but also causing harm? And for Atlanta, we start to racialize the problem. Cue the moral panic over quote-unquote urban blacks using cocaine. The first documented usage of cocaine by black people is connected to laborers in the 1880s of New Orleans who used the stimulant to survive working long days. At the same time, it was being used recreationally, and in Atlanta that was concentrated to the businesses of Decatur Street. Newspaper reports of arrests with headlines like, quote, frightful spread of the habit among the Negroes, end quote, dotted the newspapers. Police discussed that you know, they preferred cocaine because they thought it kept black people from drinking and committing crimes, and then it makes them, quote unquote, quiet and inoffensive. Some police lamented how difficult it is to subdue a black man that is high on cocaine. All of this discussion goes back to the trope of the drug-crazed, dangerous black stereotype who was a danger to white women. In June of 1900, Chattanooga, Tennessee City Council outlawed the sale of cocaine except by physician prescription. In Atlanta, just months later, eight black men were arrested for stealing in order to fund their cocaine addiction. The white press wrote that black people were using cocaine to a fearful extent and that the last six months have been the worst yet. The city of Atlanta had already passed laws to arrest any black woman out late at night trying to buy it. They were trying to figure out how to stop druggists from selling it. The only rule they had in the books was that a druggist or a pharmacist had to register the name of the person buying it. So around this same time, what also kind of compounds the problem is that the white powder form of cocaine becomes available, and so people no longer need a needle to inject it. This means it's easier and more accessible to ingest. By 1901, the use of cocaine among Atlantans, especially Black Atlantans, was growing at an alarming extent, and Coca-Cola was shouldering the blame. Candler quietly talked to the chemists about removing cocaine and replacing it with added sugar and massive amounts of caffeine. And while cocaine would leave the Coca-Cola formula around 1903, Candler began to publicly deny it was ever in the original formula. By January of 1901, Atlanta introduced new legislation. Any druggist selling cocaine would be served with a court appearance. And this was focused on 30 to 40 local druggists who were selling 10-cent boxes of cocaine, mainly to black men and women. So here is where this was not a black problem. There were, um, especially actually white women in this time, were highly addicted to cocaine, and it was being sold all over the city. But the narrow focus of law enforcement was, again, Decatur Street, um, and again, black people who were buying it. And then it gets even fuzzier because this bill was introduced, but it did not become a law and ordinance, and cocaine was not explicitly mentioned in the legislation. So police arrest three druggists to serve as test cases. They were Dr. W.W. McAfee, Dr. C.A. Moran, and Dr. W.J. Hodges. All three of them had pharmacies on Decatur Street, all within a few blocks of one another, and each of them is charged with two counts. One, selling preparations with more than two grams of morphine per ounce, 
and two, not requiring that all things of poisonous character be wrapped in red paper. Dr. Moran had graduated from the Atlanta Medical College in 1884, and he went to work in Augusta before coming back to the city in 1892. He operated Moran's Pharmacy, which was on Decatur Street, and Dr. McAfee joined the State Board of Pharmacy in 1893. He had more than one pharmacy, so he had a pharmacy in Reynoldstown, um, which was not in the city, which we'll talk about later, um, but one on Decatur Street also. And Dr. Hodges had come also from Augusta, where he was an ambulance surgeon. And the three guys are like, why us? Why Decatur Street? Like, every single druggist in the city of Atlanta sells cocaine. This is unfair. By April, Councilman Reed proposed an ordinance that would regulate the sale of cocaine, making it illegal to operate a cocaine joint and punishing the people that patronize them. So this was going from another angle. Instead of not being able to buy it, this was punishing people who did it, used it, um, and the places they did that. The following day, the ordinance is changed to mimic the one in Nashville, so it was identical to Nashville's except for the penalty. In Atlanta, the penalty would be a fine not to exceed $500 and not more than 30 days in the stockade. So while cocaine joints were illegal, you could still buy cocaine with a prescription. And the rule said that it must have the person's name and it must be needed for their physical welfare. It must be wrapped in red paper and stamped with white letters that spell out the word cocaine. The selling party was legally required to keep records of each transaction. Essentially, druggists could no longer sell to cocaine indiscriminately, so it must match a prescription. We couldn't even get through one month without an arrest. April 22nd, police arrest Dr. Charles Moran, again, for selling cocaine without a new protocol, without following the new protocol. And Moran was like, whoa, 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 I was taking a nap that day, I didn't get a chance to read the paper, so how was I supposed to know this? Like, when did this, when was this even signed? And this is kind of a funny point. I think nowadays we get our information so easily and so quickly, but in this time, this pharmacist, this pharmacist would not have known that the city passed an ordinance unless someone specifically told him or he read it in the paper. And so the court believes his story. They only find him $5. They, they believe he did not know this was a new law. Um, Dr. McAfee, who I mentioned earlier, he was getting away with a sale of cocaine because he ran one of his pharmacies out of Reynoldstown, which was not in the city of Atlanta at the time and therefore did not have to adhere to their rules. Uh, also, another hilarious side note, um, at this time, cocaine became a really popular and effective cure for piles. What are piles, you ask? because I did, it is a historical medical term for hemorrhoids. So again, there's a little more public discourse about cocaine still having benefits for those that don't misuse it. The, I mean, the fact that somebody came up with a cure for hemorrhoids was big news. Also around 1901, hundreds of Black residents were arrested and fined for illegal cocaine sales and use. In 1903, Dr. O.H. Snyder was arrested for giving away cocaine to black patrons of a nightclub downtown. And the claim was that he did this kind of like an advertisement. So, hey, here's a sample. Come to my pharmacy for more. He denies this, but he was fined the heftiest fine to date, which was $500 and a $1,000 bond. In 1904, mass arrests of black spaces begin with 38 men and women arrested in a raid at a club. All were suspected of sniffing cocaine inside. Dr. McAfee also makes an appearance at Recorder's Court that year. Um, he owned the pharmacy on Decatur Street, and it's being operated by another Dr. McAfee that he's not related to. And they charge that guy with, quote, selling cocaine to Negroes in an illegal way, end quote, and fine him $100. 
On August 19th, they saw that he had issued 80 prescriptions for cocaine, and this is something that doctors did to circumvent the law. So what when it became the rule that you had to have a prescription, they actually just had a medical doctor sitting in the pharmacy on site all the time whose main job was to just write prescriptions for cocaine in real time. Seven black women testified that they bought cocaine at McAfee's shop, and to add insult to injury, the prisoners of the stockade were freely leaving the property at night, sending one runner out to pick up cocaine and bring it back, and Mr. McAfee is at the center of this drama. By 1907, we can see from the press that this 1901 ordinance has done almost nothing to stop the sale of cocaine or its use. People are testifying about all the drug access, um, the druggists are being fined left and right, News reports are highlighting any black-on-white crime or assault, especially against white women. Alabama had even formally tested Coca-Cola for cocaine, and it quote-unquote came back clean. The same year, a Georgia legislator introduced an anti-drug bill that would make the unprescribed cocaine sale illegal statewide. And it's interesting because addiction, again, was an issue for all races and genders, but the media did not highlight the plight of middle or upper class white people's addiction. Most of those people were going to sanitariums, um, which at the time we would call them a drug rehab facility today. And that's a whole nother topic. But the progressive era brought along finally the idea that addiction was a disease and could be treated, of course, mainly if you were white. In 1911 and 12, Atlanta apparently had a Coke Alley, which a lot of arrests took place there. I couldn't figure out exactly what it was. McAfee was continuously in trouble moving to sell cocaine out of his home. I think at this point we can easily call him a drug dealer because that's what he was. And in these years, the national push for drug control laws take hold. The reformers of 1913 dust off those old racialized stories of rape and murder and they repurpose them for this newer audience. They knew that the Southern response to cocaine would form the federal. Georgia, Florida, and Tennessee had enacted total bans of cocaine in the first years of the 20th century, and this was way before the rest of the country. Hamilton Wright was called the nation's first drug czar. He was a physician appointed by President Theodore Roosevelt to serve as a United States Opium Commissioner in 1908. In 1911, he became the first anti-drug crusader, stating that, quote, of all the nations in the world, the U.S. consumes the most habit-forming drugs per capita. It has been authoritatively stated that cocaine is often the direct incentive to the crime of rape by the Negroes of the South and other sections of the country. End quote. When the Harrison's Narcotic Tax Act of 1914 was being drafted, Wright testified at a hearing and said that, quote, drugs made blacks uncontrollable, gave them superhuman powers, and caused them to rebel against white authority. End quote. Before this act passed in 1914, the New York Times published a whole article about the problem of black men being cocaine fiends in the New South. The act was a federal law that regulated and taxed the production, importation, and distribution of opiates and coca products. And although technically it was illegal, there was still a lot of loopholes for registered companies and individuals, and one of the largest was maintenance clinics where addicts could legally receive drugs. So while the story of cocaine definitely did not end after the passage of that act, the struggles of the city to regulate it were kind of overtaken by federal efforts. So there you have it, the story of Atlanta's history with cocaine. Thank you everyone for listening. Remember to leave a rating and a review where you listen to the podcast. There's also a Patreon link in the show notes for you to support. 
Hope everyone has a great weekend and I'll talk to you next week.